0: Hello and welcome to Voices of Blue Scope, the podcast where we go behind the scenes at Blue Scope to meet the people who create strength every day. I'm your host, Martin Feld, and thank you very much for listening. Well, today we're joined by Sue Stark, President of Blue Scope Buildings North America, or BBNA for short. She's here to talk about this particular part of the global Blue Scope business and also tell us a bit about herself and her role. Thank you for joining us, Sue.
1: Thanks for inviting me.
0: Now, to start things off, can you give us a rundown of what Blue Scope Buildings North America is? Because Blue Scope is quite a global organisation. It's multifaceted. And for example, anyone who's listening from Australia may be less aware of what's going on in the US. Can you give us a rundown?
1: Sure. So, Buildings North America is kind of a downstream, ultimate downstream business of Blue Scope Steel. Uh, from the standpoint of we're taking the steel and using it into the building structures we'll work with our builder partners in combination with their customers to design and construct the structure for the build that they're looking to do so we're not necessarily doing the entire structure but we're designing the whole structure
0: And in your role as president, had you come in with experience in this particular sector before? Um, What was your approach when you joined?
1: Yeah, so this is a new uh, industry for me. I've worked in welding industry. I've worked in the food equipment industry, but building industry was new to me. But there's a lot of commonalities, right? I mean, there's, there's the builder partners, my other business, my other industries. We worked through these partnerships as well really addressing it from the standpoint of what's our deliverable? What's our value proposition? How is it that we're delivering it? Are we providing value add to the builders as well as the end user when it comes to delivering our product and making sure that we're maintaining our top positions from a preferred brand in the market?
0: And when you refer to builder partners and end users, that sounds very interesting because it sounds like you're dealing with to potentially very different types of customer. Can you speak a little bit about maybe the balancing acts or things that you have to consider in dealing with so many different stakeholders through your business?
1: Sure. Yeah, so the, the, our builder partners, are they're basically our channel to the, to the end user who's buying the building. The builders are working directly with the end user or whoever's buying it. They're making sure that they're understanding what the needs are of that end user. And then that information comes back to us to do the design work, um, and ultimately give them the package that they can then construct. It is interesting because you can sometimes get a little lost from the standpoint of who's the customer, because clearly we have a customer uh, relationship with the builders, because we're delivering a service to them. But it's also important to know that, again, they're a channel through which we go to, to get, ultimately, it's the end user who's paying the money and we have to make sure that we have a value to them as well. And so it is a, it is a bit of a thought process that you need to go through because we are so builder focused, which we should be They're again, a, a trusted partner. We have to have a good partner relationship with them, but also just keeping in mind that who's the ultimate user of our product and making sure that we're staying in touch with that aspect of it as well.
0: And of course, BBNA is spread Across the United States, can you tell me a little bit about some of the sites where BBNA is based, or some of the different brands that are working across the country?
1: Sure. So we have two brands, two building brands: Butler as well as Arkell Pruden. That's those are the two brands that we sell under. Uh, we have seven manufacturing plants um, and a couple more engineering facilities uh, across the country. We have. West region plant. And then predominantly, we're heavy focused in the east, south, midwest um, aspect of the country. And then we have a facility in uh, Monterey, Mexico as well, to help kind of assist with the lower west and south, as well as some um, Latin America opportunities that are there.
0: So across two different brands, and then different sites across the United States, it sounds like you also have very diverse... Workforces or people who are working under your brands, even from different uh, language groups or language backgrounds, can you give us a view of uh, BBNA's approach to maybe diversity and inclusion? How do you look at that as president?
1: Yeah. So from a diversity standpoint, we you know we do work with work teams that are we have a Mexico facility, both engineering as well as manufacturing. We have a group in India that works with us from an engineering perspective. Um, IT, we have some off-site kind of locations as well. So I think staying very open to understanding, you know, kind of what our needs are, where is the variety of places that those needs can be satisfied, staying open to that conversation I think is really important. And the group has, I think, done extremely well, you know, being open to where the right resources can come from. And I think from you know an inclusion perspective as you talk about the, the variety of areas of the United States, you know, we certainly have different customs, different attitudes. You know, everybody knows about a you know, laid back California attitude maybe um, you might have a you know, different East Coast personality versus a Midwest. So, I mean, we all have our, our kind of uniquenesses, but I think that's one of the great things about any kind of national company. You, you have that ability to kind of bring from everybody and the, the plants, you know, it's great because they celebrate, you know, various activities and, and milestones that they reach and they do it in their own way. You know, Kansas City, we're known for barbecue. So we might have, you know, a big barbecue. The Monterey, you know, facility when they celebrated was this great, lively Mexican, you know, focused celebration. It was beautiful. Right. And and so it's nice being able to expose the whole organization to all those cultural aspects that our different regions bring to the table
0: quick side question. I'm very interested to hear what goes onto a barbecue in Kansas City. What, what would you normally see or be enjoying around a barbecue together?
1: So a barbecue in Kansas City literally means it's the way the meat is cooked basically, right? So it's usually a, a slow cooked mm. either ribs or a brisket and there's all these specialty either rubs, spice rubs that go on it and that get, might get marinated or their special barbecue sauce that you would put on it that gets lathered on and then slow cooked or smoked for hours on end. And so it's this luscious meat covered in sauce. I you know there's nothing bad about it. <laughs> I that's what I can say about it.
0: Maybe I should be rushing over to Kansas City for some brisket. <laughs> I don't know how we can work that into the, the work trips. Now, I loved what you said about diversity and inclusion there. Uh, particularly that point about people bringing something of themselves to work, that difference, right? And of course, you as president bring something of yourself to work. And you mentioned that you were new to the industry, at least this steel building sector. Can you tell us a bit about yourself and your career background? Personally, what brought you to this role?
1: Sure. Yeah. So I grew up in Wisconsin. It's a Midwest, Northern Midwest state. And Got hired on as an intern in a welding company called Miller Electric, I stayed there for the next 22 years, and really had an opportunity to just grow within that business. Um, it was a family company that ended up getting acquired by a global conglomerate, and so was part of that transition. And went from kind of a functional leader, ultimately ended up being able to kind of be a general manager for several different businesses within the organization and learn how to grow and how to build a team. From there, I left Wisconsin and went to Chicago our, to where our parent company was located and shift, shifted industries into the food equipment and basically did kind of the same role, but just in a different industry with different teams, different challenges. And again, just kind of learned that there's a lot of applicable things across industries and it's important to kind of find what's similar but also appreciate what's different and be able to kind of accommodate. So I had a lot of fun, you know, it was about 33 years that I spent with, with the organization overall and was just kind of ready for something new and different and, you know, got a call and this BlueScope thing. And I'm just like, I don't even know what BlueScope is, you know, I'm looking it up and trying to learn about the organization. And, and I kind of, the more I talked with, about the position in the company, it felt like a fit from, for me personally, the business itself was interesting. You know, Butler, the whole buildings organization, I thought there was some commonalities again to some of the other industries that I've been with and kind of what we've done to me, there was a comfort level there, but it was definitely something new. And so that was going to be fun learning something new, but then the culture of blue scope is ultimately what kind of sold me on it because I had seen a lot of people come into my former company's culture and implode. It, it was just not a culture fit, and you can see it happening right in front of you. And I certainly didn't want that, you know, for, for a new experience. And, and the culture just really felt this collaborative, kind of bottoms-up, autonomous business structure that I was really drawn to. Yeah. So it's been almost a year now and uh, it's, yeah, haven't looked back.
0: That's fantastic. And what you were saying about a culture of collaboration or maybe sharing information, I hope you don't mind my bringing this up, but I noticed that you and Jill Harmon, who has actually been on this podcast before from the Blue Scope Foundation, recently put up a post about disability independence day and is this something you're happy to discuss yeah sure that culture of sharing information or bringing something of yourself to work you put up a video about Disability Independence Day uh, in honour of the signing of the Americans with Disabilities Act. This is a personal thing for you. Can you tell us about what this day celebrated in July when this is being recorded, what it means to you?
1: Yeah, obviously, you know, pretty personal connection for myself. I have two daughters that have a form of muscular dystrophy and, as they were growing up, you know, there's a lot of uncertainty when you're have kids with that situation and anybody in that situation, you don't know what's gonna happen and what they're gonna be able to do. But I think we always just pushed for, you just have to get in there and do it and and figure out how it's going to work. And I think that's where the American Disabilities Act has kind of enabled organizations to start accommodating. I mean, I can tell you there's been numerous places That we can't go to because the wheelchairs can't go in. We go through a lot of back doors, back through kitchens to get into a restaurant or things like that. But at least we can get in. And businesses, while they, uh, again, aren't trying to keep people out, when you're not faced with it, you never think of it. I totally get that. And so ADA starts, I think at least started the conversation with with businesses to understand, hey, you got to start thinking about this and and make your businesses at least accessible. But once you get somebody in, then you really start to understand, oh, well, hey, okay, we have the elevator button down low, but we've also put a barrier in front of it so that people don't uh, ram into the elevator. Oh, well, that's nice, but a wheelchair can't get at it, you know? So it's it's funny when you start working with... And one of my daughters kind of shared um, an experience where she was interning at, a, at an organization. They had a, a fire drill. And she knew she needed to go to the stairwell. So she went to the stairwell, but then nobody ever even acknowledged that she was there. And so it was... It was very kind of disturbing for her because it was just like uh, this wasn't even a fire drill. There was something that had gone on and they wanted everybody out. But here she is in the stairwell with nobody. And so, again, it's it's one of those acknowledgments that it's just like, OK, we had the process, but we just need to follow up a little bit to make sure that it's really followed through on. So there's always something that we're learning <laughs> from this perspective. And, uh, yeah, and they just keep kind of pushing the envelope and, and They've had great employers that have worked with them. They've been very lucky from that perspective, and uh, it's a blessing to be able to kind of see them go as far as, as as they are today. So,
0: no, thank thank you for sharing that and everything that you're saying resonates so beautifully with that idea of just having accessible spaces, whether it's in technology, uh, infrastructure, buildings. And it is hard because you can have people who have the best of intentions, but if they don't have that direct personal experience or haven't seen it or observed it, then things that seem very well catered to people can actually completely fail people. So when you come to work with that background and that understanding, how does that affect you as a leader in dealing with different people across your organization?
1: I think it impacts me a couple of ways. I think some people say that I can be calm in situations. And, uh, and I think to a certain degree, this, the stress levels for me, per, my personal stress levels can, I think, have somewhat helped me understand what's high stress and what's not. So I think that's actually helped me kind of be a, maybe a calm, people might laugh if I say I'm a calm leader, but but I think that helps me kind of keep things in perspective. I think it also, you know, there's a sense of enablement, you know, that you're trying to give people and being open-minded to, you know, what can work. And I try to bring that, you know, every day to, to the organization, uh, really wherever I am, to not enable stereotypes and give people, you know, that chance, that benefit of
0: the doubt. That's great. And that really comes down to, I suppose, being an active listener and being open to learning. And like you said, you said you've been here for a year. I've only been at Blue Scope for several years and I work with people who have much longer career backgrounds, many, many more years at Blue Scope or in different sectors or brands of Blue Scope. And I learn from them all the time. Is there something that you really relish as a challenge or that you're looking forward to learning in your role as a leader, even with all of your experience behind you?
1: Oh, gosh. You know, I love, I love business. I really enjoy
0: mm-hmm.
1: learning about a company and what, they're, what makes them unique and how they continue to evolve and take it forward. I have found, you know, fascination in the fact that, you know, my former company, that they could hardware, ha- nails. How do, keep, how do you keep innovating a nail? It's possible, you know, I mean, it's, it's all about kind of what we do. I mean, steel, right? There's all sorts of innovation that can go, that goes into it. And how do we perfect it? And, you know, the chemistry that kind of goes into making the steel. Fascinating. I had the opportunity to, to visit the Port Kembla facility and just amazing what they turn into steel. I love learning stuff like that.
0: And you make a great point because Port Kembla and its facilities would be very different from what you're doing within uh, supporting builders in the US because of what you said at the beginning about upstream versus downstream. And I'm sure that many uh, people based at Port Kembla, if they were to visit your facilities, would be surprised or learn something in the way that you deal with the product.
1: Yeah, that we the way we kind of bring it all together and, yeah, and it turns into this massive Airplane hangar, or a Costco, or whatever it might be.
0: Oh, that sounds very exciting. That that sounds quite massive, actually. <laughs> now, is there anything uh, just because I'm aware of the time, we're coming towards the end, so Is there something that I haven't asked about that you are kind of busting to say?
1: There's nothing. Nothing burning in my belly.
0: Thank you very much for your description of the business, Sue, sharing some of your own personal story. It's lovely to get to know people on this podcast, and I really appreciate the time that you've spent, particularly given the time zone difference.
1: Absolutely. Thank you so much for letting me uh, share a little bit of what we do.
0: And to everyone listening, if you'd like to learn more about any of the things that Sue mentioned in this episode, make sure to visit the links and show notes in your web browser or podcast app. For further news and updates, you can also follow at BlueScope on Twitter. There's BlueScope on LinkedIn, TV BlueScope on YouTube, and of course, the website BlueScope.com. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Voices of BlueScope podcast. We hope to have you again soon.